We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast is brought to you by Aspers Casino Newcastle, home of the £4 pint on match day. That's all Newcastle home games and any televised Newcastle fixture. The offer applies from midday until midnight on all draft beers. Be gamble aware, over 18s only. Visit begambleaware.org. Uh, be drink aware and for details and T's and C's, visit aspersnewcastle.co.uk. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast and this week we are going to talk about what is going on at Newcastle United in terms of the direction of travel off the pitch in particular, but it's always influenced by what's going on the pitch. I'm Alex and I have Cy Campbell, John Lane and Michael Martin here to talk to you this week about what promises to be or could turn into be a transformative transfer window for Newcastle United. This weekend there has been breaking news that Callum Wilson and Kieran Trippier could leave the club in this window which I'm pretty sure no one saw coming. And then also the fact that Craig Hope has reported that Joe Linton could have played his last game for Newcastle United. And all of this feeds into a general question that we're going to talk about anyway, is where are Newcastle United going? And I'll, I'll, I'll have an opening statement, statement for you lads, and then whoever wants to come in and give me their thoughts can. Up until mid-November 2023, the direction of travel at Newcastle United since the takeover has been unambiguously positive. They avoided relegation with ease, they signed some world-class footballers from the relegation zone of the Premier League, consolidated that to move into the Champions League and reach a cup final, and then at the start of this season, played Champions League football, beat PSG, were in the quarter-final of the League Cup, and were fifth in the Premier League, still pushing for a Champions League spot. Since then, it's been the first real test of the manager, and now the ownership, or the executive group, because Newcastle United find themselves 10th place in the Premier League, unable to sign anyone because of um, alleged limits of profit and sustainability allowances that the club currently have though we don't know that we're just kind of dealing with what we hear in the media and from the club uh, and without selling players this window possibly couldn't sign anyone at all apart from a loan and it feels very different to the direction of travel over the past couple of years where are you all at with it particularly in light of what we've heard this weekend does anyone want to come in and make a, a bold statement either way about where you think the club are i think um I think this was always coming. Um, it's a very, very different club. It's, it's a club that's got um, they've appointed people who know what they're doing in terms of football. And I think that's the thing we have to remember. This isn't a, um, a situation where we're going to sell our best players and not replace them. Uh, and for me, that's the point. I think what a lot of this has been is about managing the message with the fan base. Um, so Darren Eels comes out with the finances in January and says, look, 
this is the crack, this is what's going on, we're, you know, we, we need to make sure that we're within these limits, we've got to make sure that we set these rules. Um, but on the side of that, um, the journals ran with, you know, Isaac's going to go, Bruno could go, Botman could go, all of this kind of thing. And I think if you, if you take a step back, there's no way that we would sell Isaac now because you have to make at least 50 million to make any profit on him. So it makes absolutely easy row sense. Um, so it's just, but big clubs sell. This is what happens. Um, so for me, it's all about how they sell the right people and, and find the right message and manage that. And nobody would have wanted to lose Wilson and Trippier before this window. Um, but I think in reality, when you step back, you go, hang on, when when could you sell them and get something back and then be able to do something in the market? Um, and it's all about managing the message. It's the same reason why, you know, prices can go up at the club and people don't kick off as much now because people are like, oh yeah, but it goes into profit and sustainability and that's how you build the club. Um, a lot of it's about managing the message with the fan base. I think it's, it's become a bit of a cliche, but Newcastle are ahead of schedule on the ahead of schedule and that, that whole thing of getting in the Champions League way quicker than we planned to. It was brilliant and it was really enjoyable at the time, but now we're in the situation where we don't really know where we're supposed to be. We don't know where the plan was to be by now. We haven't really got a clue where the season's going and it's it's become difficult in that sense. And I think um, a lot of the noise at the start of the season was that the, the club knew it was going to be a difficult season. They probably didn't know how difficult because I think they've perhaps they've even underestimated what they needed to prepare for the season in terms of the squad depth, etc. But um, I think they knew this was going to be hard. They're now having to work through this hump. I think... This is why I don't think Eddie Howe's under any pressure as well, by the way. I think the club knew it was going to be a tough season. We're going to give him this and just see where we see where we end up. Um, but ultimately, I think there's, there's been a few things that they weren't expecting. One, getting at the Champions League and then finding it so hard to, to manage that and the potential of dropping back out of it. They have to reassess what they were going to do spending-wise. The biggest um, thing that's probably impacted them, though, from the start of the project was that thing, the rule they brought in within months of us being taken over about them not being able to use... Um, sponsors um, to, to kind of siphon money into the football club. For want of a better word, that's kind of what Man City did. It's what Chelsea did for years. Um, the fact that they can't do that, they've probably had to reassess all the statements they made at the very start about we're going to win the league within this many years. We're going to do all this. We're going to be a Champions League club. It's going to take a bit longer. And I think they're just taking a bit more of a long, long-term view of it now. And all this stuff that suddenly appeared about having to sell players, it's true. It's true. Uh, if, if we're going to try and follow the rules and if we're going to look at what's happening to Everton and Nottingham Forest it's not probably not worth not trying to play by the rules. It doesn't mean it's not possible to get where we want to be, but it's going to take longer. And I think that adds to the fact that someone like Kieran Trippier, and I'm not saying I want him to go, and I'm not saying that he necessarily wants to go, but the idea of going to Bayern Munich to um, to finish his career is probably quite quite tempting for him because the Newcastle project for him is now going to take a bit longer and we might not get the success that we thought we were going to get by the time he's you know hanging up his boots. So there's a lot going on. There's going to have to be a bit of training, a bit of turnover to get Newcastle to the next step because we're lost between the, the massive step we took last season and the kind of where, where what's an acceptable plateau or step backwards to make sure we carry on in the right direction. Very interesting, and I, I agree with most of it, but one thing I'd put back to you is, and I really like your point about, you know, no one really known as fans anyway, we, we all have an opinion about what success looks like from here this season, but it's a tough one, isn't it, to try and look at what the club deems as success. And I always go back to what you sell to players, so, okay, and, you know, at our event and lots of other media, Darren Neils did, Newcastle United did, they talked about how difficult it is to for a club who rarely qualifies for the Champions League and they'd looked into the average position, I think, of teams that are qualified for the Champions League for a long time or weren't regularly in the Champions League and the average league position the following season was eighth. 
and that's fine, and maybe they'd planned for eighth. But I don't think that's what you tell Sandro Tonali in his £53 million pound transfer deal. I don't think you say, we're probably going to finish eighth next season when you leave your boyhood club um, who are in the Champions League every season without fail. You know, I don't know what happens in transfer negotiations. Maybe it's just all about money. Maybe he only comes because of the other things uh, involved in his life at the time. We have no idea. I'm speculating. But it just, like, everything you said could be true, Sai, or it is true. I just wonder a little bit kind of what's happened because you said we do have to sell players and that's the reality. I don't think any football fan at Newcastle United would be like, well, we just don't have to sell players now. It's, it's, it's always been the reality in football. I think everyone knew coming into this season that there were still too many players at Newcastle United who just had no sell-on value and that was an issue. In terms of conversations about where Newcastle were with their squad heading into the season, I think you know it was a, it was a conversation, wasn't it? Have we done enough? Is the, is the bench strong enough? Is the team strong enough once you inevitably get injuries? I always think about what it was Dan Ashworth said. I think not, not this season or maybe it was early this season or, or end of last season. He says, we're always planning two to four windows in advance. Okay, fine, sensible, makes sense. And, and maybe they are. But then to bring Darren Eels out, if this is the case, as people are suggesting, and lay the groundwork for the sale of players who pretty much get into your starting 11 I, I do just kind of wonder what's what's gone wrong a little bit is it is it the league form it, is it like you say so either thought they'd be able to get round the, the premier league rules on associated party sponsorship i don't know but i i kind of feel there's often too much of a a credence given to well this was the plan all along you know the plan all along was to to get to january to be re- not to be struggling but to you know to be acceptance of where we are um and then Will, you know, Jolinton, even though it's not a, a transfer link with this window, Jolinton, Trippier and Wilson could be off. Now, the good thing about these guys is they're not Mike Ashley. We trust them. I don't think they sell Callum Wilson or loan Callum Wilson without a replacement. I don't think they give, they let the club captain go. Um, and even if you don't sign a, a, an equivalent right back, they don't use that to, to better the team. You know, there's no point yeah. in doing these things. You know, a lot of the stuff you hear is, oh, well, Okay, he's 33, he doesn't have long left. I, I totally agree, but not in January. You, do, you don't sell your club captain in January unless you are able to maximise the impact of that transfer in January. Otherwise, an already struggling team is weakened. We don't know, but I do just feel a little bit kind of like the narrative has switched so much, which is why I wanted to do this podcast. It was everything is fine, we're going to take over the world to basically <laughs> haven't got any money, um, or if not the money, the, the wiggle room in profit and sustainability to now we have to let go of our best players in January to try and get competitive again in the Premier League. But maybe I'm misrepresenting an overall position and I'm simplifying it a bit myself. I think timing is everything, isn't it? All these clubs uh, in the top have to sell players. And, you know, um, the, the, the bonanza that a lot of them got from the Saudi League to sell all their players was a get-out-of-jail-free card for a lot of these clubs who'd really pushed the, the sustainability rules. Manchester City always seem to sell their big players at the perfect time and then and then reinvest, you know. For me, timing, if you look at where we are, and I think we can finish anywhere between 10th, 11th and about 6th this season, and I think we could do that by taking a few risks and selling a few players. So in terms of timing, if there's ever a time when it, in a season that's kind of got away from us, why not now? If you can get a little bit of money back for, for Trippy, if you can get a little bit of money for Wilson, who you'll get less money for in the summer, you get players off your wage bills. And you're right, it has to be about bringing something in now to get us to the end of the season, but also then it'll free up the budget in the summer as well. I don't know, I, timing... We, like you say, you're right. I think we all knew at some point we're going to have to sell players and keep the trading turning over, but the timing of it has to be right. 
uh, we said last week when we spoke to Craig that the timing probably was at the end of last season when players like Miggy Wilson couldn't have been at higher stock, but at the same time you had a team that had just finished fourth. You don't want to upset that kind of hindsight's a wonderful thing. Everything was perfect and that team was gelling so well you didn't really want to disrupt that, whereas it might have been a, a ruthless and necessary decision to take. Whereas now, the team's not gelling. If there's ever a time to let a few players go and start again and, and start that journey, it probably is now, albeit it's a bit unorthodox to do it in a January transfer window. I would, I would accept that. Thoughts, Mick, on all this? Yeah, I, I, it's a bit difficult as well, isn't it? Because we're kind of in the middle of the uh, of the window and uh, we haven't had kind of firm things as to what's happened. So you read some things. Um, Kieran Trippier's practically got the leader who was on, hasn't he? And then, <laughs> and then others denying that, um, you know, that he would ever want to go to Germany and he's happy at Newcastle. So there's kind of various points being pushed mm. at the same time for their own purposes let's be let's be honest um for me though I, I think we hear in the background a lot from the club about a process um now anyone that's worked in any kind of operational delivery for for want of a better description knows that there is a process that, that governs how you do things but the process often changes so it it changes in 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 accordance with events so something might happen an IT system might be upgraded, therefore you have to change your process. And I'm trying to uh, equate this to a corporate environment. Um, so you, you, you will change things, circumstances, customers change, demands change, etc. Et so you, you will change. What's, what's changed at Newcastle over the last uh, few months is the amount of injuries they've got. So uh, I look at, um, uh, you know, Joe Linton being out rumoured for the, and for the rest of the season, it's a massive thing. It means we've got three fit midfield players for, to, to go for the rest to the rest of the season. So they have to do something drastic. Now I, I look at um, the players. Everything that size just said it, uh, it is spot on. You know, you wouldn't sell these players now if you if you could choose. You would wait until the end of the season. Then you'd you'd have a you'd have a clear out. But sometimes you're on the back foot and you have to respond to that. So if if the decision is to sell Kieran Trippier um, to Bayern Munich, which is the big rumour, and Callum Wilson to Atletico Madrid uh, and Javier Manquillo to um, Celta Vigo, there's a pattern to that. Uh, and the pattern is all of these players are 30 plus um, and they have very little sell-on value anyway. So if they if they were to go, and I, and I absolutely adore Kieran Trippier he's one of the best players in my lifetime which is long um, to uh, pull on a black and white shirt and he's by some distance the best fullback I've ever seen but he's 33 so he's probably got 12 to 18 months left in his career and he's probably one bad injury away from being finished at, uh, at this moment in time Callum Wilson plays about 45% of the games I love the bloke he's been great for us but he can't be relied on because of his fitness record and that's not going to get any better Javier Manquillo is rarely used, so he's he's out the door. If they're if they're able to get to the, get shot of those three players, and they were to bring in one or two, um, uh, is is kind of replacements to the squad. I say that's common sense. Mm-hmm. Even though I will be devastated to see Kieran Trippier leave, but let's be honest. Look at the full back position, the right back position. You've got Tino Livramento, who's everyone loves him, you know, and he's great. He can play right or left back. He's great. He's great. Uh, and then you've got Emil Kraft, who's not so great, but can do a decent job. And then you've got Harrison Ashby out on loan at Swansea. So 
it's like if you that that position is really well stocked, isn't it? And then you've got Callum Wilson, who actually would he be a miss because he's missing so much, yeah. and that's no disrespect to him. Um, and then Javier Manquillo, another fullback. We, you know, we could start a shop with fullbacks, couldn't we? <laughs> at, at, at the minute, so he would go out. Uh, he would go out the door. So if they're able to get these players out, they might not get much money for them, but they'll get them off the payroll. It means that they can go in and do the deal with Man City for Calvin Phillips. If that's the case, then great. But again, I'm very much aware that we're having this conversation before we know what this real situation is or what it'll end up being. I think there's two um, things that you touched on there that I want to follow up on. I think in terms of Wilson and his availability, Just to be really clear on that, he had his 100th appearance for the club the same day that Eddie Howe had his 100th uh, game as manager, which I think should highlight how often he's been absent mm. um, and how much of a big issue that is. And and again, I think Wilson's been a tremendous servant for the club. I think, um, you know, without him in some of those days, we, you know, we could have gone down. Uh, I don't think we get the success that we got uh, last season without him. Uh, Trippier has been transformational for us, absolutely, he really has. But I think the other thing we have to consider is um, there's going to be more deals done on spreadsheets. There's going to be more of these logical, right, who do we need to sell at what age and what's the age profile going to be? And then, you know, if we don't get rid of them now, when could we? Are we going to end up losing that value? Whereas, you know, if you end up getting, and I'm speculating here, but let's say you get 15 million for Tripper and you get a similar amount for Wilson you know, you take off their book value off that. You're probably talking 120 million that you could spend if you wanted to. I'm not saying the club would go out and do that, but that's the kind of, you know, question we're asking. Now, 120 million potential spend versus zero. I mean, what do you take? Yeah, and, and I agree with all of that. And and then the other thing is, is that we've got a load of players that how doesn't play and they're on, they're on the bench. And, you know, we've all mentioned at some point or another, We've got two goalies on the bench so often. And, you know, I think, was it Liverpool we went? We had two goalies on the bench. That's not much use, is it, at, at, at Liverpool? Um, unless you can play them all at the same time. Um, one game with three, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so you've got, you've got that. And then you've got, you've got players who he just, he doesn't seem to want to play. Um, like Dummett, um, like Richie. Uh, Lascelles gets the the odd game, um, and obviously there's some players who are out on loan as well, who we often forget about easily. Um, so I I think that I don't know. I'm guess I'm guessing, and this is only a guess, that we're at the start of some a bit of a big bang, and there are a number of players who partic- I think if you're 30 plus at Newcastle United, don't get comfortable. Mm. Is my is my kind of thing, and that. At the end of this season, there'll be a number of players who are out of contract who will leave the club. I, I don't happen to think Joe Linton will be one of them. I think he's settled and he's liked. And remember, he came to the club on strikers' money. So strikers' money is always more than centre forward than uh, midfielders' money. So there's a there's a disparity in the negotiation around that. But it took ages to sort out Bruno's as well. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of kind of always for the off, you better move, uh, you know, it, it, and that'll go over the head of Dan Ashworth. He'll have heard it hundreds of times. I, do, I don't think he's going, because of his age, I think he's too he's too young to let go, unless somebody comes in and says, we'll offer you 100 million quid. And I don't think there's a club out there that's going to pre- prepare to pay more than 40 million quid for, for, for Joe Linton, as much as he's a very useful and popular lad at the club. So that's if, my, my point is, if you're 30 and over, you better, you better, you don't be taking out any mortgages in, in the northeast area. 
suppose one of the good things about this whole situation, even this conversation, is that previously before the takeover, we're always one bad transfer window away from catastrophe. Absolutely. Uh, without wanting to drag up Asian history too much, but Newcastle are kind of fifth, sixth in the 13-14 um, season, the Salio and Kabai, when they desperately needed a striker. <laughs> you know, in the whole season, it's almost the actually we just never recovered from that point. And whether fans view this window we're in now or the summer window as a success, I don't think too many fans would be kind of too dispirited about the future of the club and the ambition of the, the owners and the, the general direction of travel. There's been a lot of comparisons, even though, like you correctly said, Mick, none of these transfers have happened yet to Kieran Trippier, to Andy Cole, and then the anger surrounding the sale of Andy Cole, and then six months later, Ferdinand and Janola turn up. And I think I think we have to credit the people in charge with a plan. And and that's, that's what makes this all so interesting. In part two of the show, we're going to talk about financial fair play a little bit and, and the communication off the pitch. But... What I quite like about the sale of these players, if they happen, is the ruthlessness of it, because we maybe didn't see that in the summer. Um, maybe maybe if they had the time again, they would have moved some of these players on in the summer, because if they plan to move them on again in January anyway, it would have been a better time to do it. But you, you can learn lessons as you go, as I'm sure everyone does in, in football. But there is just something to me uh, that, that that strikes at the soul. Of, if, if, you know, even it's reported now that Bayern Munich want trip, you will, okay, well, if you're going to Bayern Munich, you're a good footballer. We know Kieran Tripp is a good footballer. Yeah, he's had a bit of a rough month, but so has everyone inside the club. There's also all sorts of uh, reports and rumours about, you know, personal stuff off the pitch and, you know, potential break-ins and stuff like that, which is very sad to hear. It just it just sounds like a destabilising period for him, as it has been for the football club as a whole in terms of results off the pitch and injuries. But it does just rankle a little bit losing your club captain <laughs> in the middle of the season. I, I couldn't get away from it if, it if it did happen. But this is the thing that, that fans and we've talked about recently is you have to have, to be able to compete at the top level under these profit and sustainability rules, you have to have players that you want to sell. And the, the sad thing about it is the best players to sell are young lads who come through for their book value compared to what you bought them for. Um, you know, Manchester City have got it right, um, selling someone like Cole Palmer to what some people could perceive as a rival in Chelsea, but aren't really at the minute. Um, maybe maybe Newcastle fans are just going to have to start getting used to every single transfer window. As, as much as we want to see players coming in, the players going out are going to be as important. And I suppose, I think, and just get your thoughts, lads, to finish part one, I think we've become, as a fan base, incredibly attached to these lads because mm. of what they've achieved but genuinely good players because good players have been so rare in Newcastle in the past 15 years before the takeover anyone who was good became like the whole football club someone like a Kabai and Andy Carroll anyone who was worth getting behind was away even Ginny Wijnaldum who got relegated anyone who did anything at the football club they were away and it might take a little bit of time just for the fan base overall to mature into this mindset of okay everyone's for sale at a price because we'll have to trust these guys to reinvest and bring better players in. What do you think? The other the other point just to make you said selling a club captain, Wilson's also in that leadership group as well. So actually you're losing two of your major leaders. Um how's not I don't think that's probably necessarily what he would have wanted in in the plan. Um but again it's it's how do you and I suppose this is when we talk about the ruthlessness, how do you remove yourself from the emotion of it and the sentiment? And that's what people yeah. accuse how of being too loyal. Of course. And <laughs> You know, we are. It's all links, but he is linked with again. Lads, he coached at Bournemouth. I wanted to bring. 
<laughs> it's, it's a very good point, isn't it, about um, the emotional attachment to players, and it's impossible not to have that because you share those moments together, is uh, is is kind of supporters and the team, etc. And those photos that they take after the match are a sim- symbol of of all of that. I guess from our perspective, what we have to do is to get to the end of each window and think: Are we stronger than we started? That that's the acid test. And, and if we're stronger, then the board and the director of football uh, are doing a good job. If we're weaker, then they're not. So I look at kind of last January. I didn't really want them to sell John Joe Shelby or Chris Wood because I thought that week I thought that weakened us in the in the short term, and I thought it was a a risk. Who wants Shelby and Wood back now? <laughs> you know, we, it's just not a conversation that we would have. And, and the trade for Gordon, ultimately, they were sort of bringing Gordon with us. So. Absolutely, and, and and Anthony Gordon's been arguably our best player, certainly our best attacking player this season, hasn't he? So they kind of know what they're doing, don't they? That's that's my that's my take. But I'm scored on the seals of Malcolm McDonald, <laughs> Chris Waddle, Peter Beardsley, Paul Gascoigne, et al. So um, so it's going to take some getting used to for old farts like me. <laughs> I don't know if there's any scars to do like that, Mick, but what Alex said before is exactly it. Like, we've had so few players to really hang your hat on and get get like put on the back of your shirt, for example. I haven't done that for years, but you, you get the idea. Um, you, I'd, I'd have only one of the lads in the team now on the back of my shirt. You know, I'm sad to see Mankio go. That's how, that's how connected I am to this group of lads because I think he's been a, a loyal, hard-working, hard-working servant. <laughs> yeah, but you, you get the point. It's, it, is, it is tough and, and, and readjusting to actually that it's okay to sell a few players now because one... Like we say, we trust the, the owners to buy new players and improve the squad. And two, we've got too many. We have actually, the squad's too big. Um, I know we've been injury ravaged this season and that, the, the reason of that is but a lot of the dead wooden the players, like Mancure, to be fair, um, that are still hanging around. But we need, we, need, we need to do it and we need to kind of accept it. And to be honest, if Trippier wants to go to, um, and again, this is all speculation, I agree with what Mick's saying. We don't really know if he even wants to or if it's, if it's part of his thinking. Is he, is he good pals with Harry Kane? I don't know. Um, but, yes, he is. Well, yeah. Um, all right. So, sorry. No, <laughs> I you on that last idiot. night, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> um, if if he wants to go, the players are going to be as as not disloyal, but you know, if if they if their heads are turned, their heads are going to be turned. That's how football works, and that's how that's how agents work. And we've kind of we've we've become we've forgotten that that's how it is because we never bought players and we never had this problem before, and it's it's all new experiences for us. And I, and I get that, but. Yeah. We should have never let Matt Sells and Jesus come out. <laughs> exactly, exactly. We're going to break now for some adverts in the show. If you want to listen to these podcasts without the adverts, it's only £3 a month on our Patreon platform. Link in the description to this podcast. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So for part two of the show, we're going to talk about Ultimately, what is the limiting factor for Newcastle United? That is adherence to the profit and sustainability rules, kind of better known as FFP, financial fair play, which is UEFA's version of the same rules. So they're kind of interchangeable. The ultimate idea is you're not supposed to leave money. There are maximum losses of 105 million over three years. Uh, I think there's a little bit of misunderstanding or misapplication that uh, clubs are supposed to work to the 105 million figure. You know, they're supposed <laughs> to work to zero and they get punished if they go over the 105 million figure. Um, ultimately, FFP, to put it quite simply, it is stopping Newcastle United probably from having a much, much better football team right now. And the club have, over the last 12 months in particular, starting last January, Eddie Howe and now Darren Eels and other briefings from the club have really bigged up the problems that this is presenting Newcastle United in terms of developing as a squad. And Newcastle fans and fans of other clubs who are currently under the cosh with this, but Newcastle fans in particular have started to really question the purpose of these rules and who they serve. Mick, what's your, your view in it all? So I've got a kind of, a, this is my take on it. So should there be rules about how football clubs spend money and run their business within the sport of football? Yes, of course there should be. And the reason for that is is because football needs to be, football clubs are so important to their supporters, to local communities, they need to be protected from charlatans and wild west capitalism etc and if you need an example for when that goes wrong they're not very far away so um you've got obviously the big one in the last 25 years was at leeds when um uh, they were just spending money they didn't have uh, and banking everything on um I, I don't even know what they were banking it on what's it winning the champions league or some something like that and obviously, um, that was completely unsustainable. Uh, and uh, and it was disastrous for Leeds United. Obviously, they got relegated. They, they got into all kinds of financial difficulties, etc. The other one as well is, is Portsmouth. So Portsmouth went 
bust. You know, Portsmouth are a, they're not a massive club, but they're a famous club. They're an important club to uh, to that local area, etc. Uh, and I remember at the at the time Portsmouth signing players that we were interested in, and by any measure, Newcastle United is a far bigger club than Portsmouth. So we were going in for players like Sol Campbell when he was leaving Arsenal, who we really wanted. And there's no way we could get him to Newcastle because the wages that Portsmouth were paying were way in excess of what we could pay him. And then there was players like Jermaine Defoe, who was at Portsmouth, um, and several and several others who we couldn't we couldn't get a hold of at that at that time because the wages that there were uh, those players uh, were accepting from Portsmouth. Who could blame them? That's that's what a professional footballer is in the game to do is to make money by and large. Uh, and um, and we couldn't get a hold of them, so they had an unfair advantage. And the unfair advantage was wasn't as a result of the the money Portsmouth had; it was all debt. So it was it it was just funny money that they were paying their players with, and and eventually that brown paper bag got full of too much water and burst. And Portsmouth, I think they won the cup and then got relegated, and that was it, wasn't it? So um, and they've been in dire straits. Ever, ever since. So, do we need rules to protect football clubs? Absolutely. And then the next question is: is do the current financial fair play rules protect football clubs? No, they don't. They, they protect six clubs in the Premier League who, by dent of accident, by dent of uh, income at this moment in time, find themselves as the top six clubs in the in the Premier League. Now, for me, there are other clubs in the Premier League who have equally, if not greater, uh, history and glory than those than some of those six clubs. So, I will argue Everton are a far more important club in terms of trophies won than Chelsea, Tottenham, Man City. Right. So, I will I will argue that history demonstrates that as are Villa, as are Forest, as is us. Right. So that so there there is there is all of that. So why they should be, why their executives at this moment in time should be able to be fit a glass ceiling over the ambitions of other clubs that are not at any risk of bankruptcy, administration, blah, 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 is a mystery to me. But it, and that, that seems to me to have all, bear all the hallmarks of a cartel or a monopoly, etc. So financial fair play is one thing, Rules to protect football clubs are absolutely support, but then you've got this this thing where um, money is being prevented from coming into football that could benefit the wider football scene, etc. So um, we've got we've got to put into perspective, and those that might be thinking mix wrong, and that's an entirely legitimate position to take. I wouldn't argue, and I'm I'm interested in hearing other perspectives, but when it when we get taken over by the PIF and and everyone knows how much money they've got, how much money they were ready to put into Newcastle United, then within a month, there are new rules being invented to yeah. stop money coming into the game. Then there's a rabbit off. that Because those, those rules weren't there for several other clubs. And I'm not just talking about Man City and Chelsea, I'm talking about Leicester and Everton and, uh, and, 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 and others. So that was definitely anti-competitive so for for me there needs to be a change there needs to be an acceptance that money needs to come into the game 
but also there does need to be a set of rules that protects football clubs from charlatans of the type that we've seen at Leeds, Portsmouth, and many, many other and many other clubs. I would argue Sunderland as well, for for that matter. I think they haven't been particularly well run over the last twenty years or so. So there's that 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 needs to be happen. That needs to happen, in my opinion. But you have to unpick one element of that from the other. Now, am I arguing that because I'm a Newcastle United supporter? Partly, yes, but I'm also arguing it because I care about football. And so on the one hand, I'll say you, you need rules to protect football clubs, but you also need to ensure that those rules aren't bent out of shape and become anti-competitive and act to protect the interests of five or six clubs. Just just on that, I think um, in terms of the um, related party rules, um, I'm, I'm totally supportive of the rules, but the timing's like horrendous. Um, why on earth Man City have been allowed for years and years and years to do that? Um, and it was it was quite brazen. I think, you know, I mean, they probably sponsored a corner flag for 200 million and it was fine, you know, and, and all of a sudden got to create a value because everyone was shit scared when we got took over. So it it's, it's the timing of it, um, as Mick says. I think, um, for me, makes a really good point about debt. Like, if, if clubs are in massive debt then they shouldn't be allowed to continue to spend, continue to spend. And I think the likes of, you know, Man United, Spurs, if you said to them, right, you know, um, your transfer activity is limited because of the amount of debt you've got, all of a sudden they'd get very good at bringing that debt down. And I think other clubs would do that. The problem with PSR, the way that it is at the minute, um, both in the Premier League and probably more in the Championship as well, is clubs are willing to take a risk and they're willing to gamble and they gamble all their eggs into this basket, they keep spending, 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 reach the promised land of the Premier League, they then get there, they then spend and spend and spend to try and stay in the league. And it, if anything, it, it works flip reverse. It doesn't actually protect the clubs. It, it can potentially make them more vulnerable. Well, that's the thing. It, it, willing to take a risk is probably not hard phrase. I'd say you have to take a risk. If you want your football club to be anything other than just floating around in the middle of, of the division below or, or arguably the, the bottom half of the Premier League as well, doing nothing every season. Crystal Palace, for example. Nothing to play for every season, just floating around. They could take... The, the, the risks they'd have to take to get to, to go any further, it's not worth it for anyone who wants to be a shrewd business owner. Um, if you do want your team to succeed and pass on, you, you have got to take ridiculous risks just to try and breach that. And it's the rules are designed um, wrongly. And I, I agree with Mick. The ha- there should be some rules, and I agree with what you said as well. Strictly speaking, you, a state-owned public investment fund shouldn't be allowed to own a football club and just pump money into it in, in, in an ideal world football wouldn't be like that but it's already happened there's been several teams who are in that top six already via this method so to change the rules now and not do anything retrospective to say right okay you've got away with it but this is what we're going to do to try and balance the playing field there's done none of that all these rules are just stopping other clubs from doing the same stopping other clubs from getting them yeah it now becomes a thing when Newcastle in this exact position now do we take Risks that might result in point penalties if we don't achieve what the the plan that was you know if we spend a lot of money now to try and get in the top four and then don't make it, you then get in trouble for for being ambitious and trying to do that without really risking the the future of the club like you say, Mick, because this isn't that situation. I totally agree with everything you said about the, those other and there's, there's hundreds more in the, in the football pyramid that have done the same, taken those risks and 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 you know got where they are, got what they did out of it, but um. It's, uh, in an ideal world, you wouldn't need um, bazillionaires from Saudi Arabia to come and make your club competitive in the Premier League, but that is the case because the Premier League has already become... You know, this is horses bolted stuff. The horse bolted 20 years on all of this, so that's what football is now, and we all have kind of had to come to accept that. 
the rules are now just don't don't make any sense. And even the um, 105 million quid figure that seems to be plucked out of the air, and that's what they're probably going to change next by the sounds of it. What 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 was that? What's the thing behind? It? I just don't understand. I, I think that the people who have the um, say in either the creating or the agreeing of these rules aren't the right people, and it's not independent, and it's all a bit a bit shady, as Mick suggests. Well, well they're a trade. The Premier League is a trade association, and I'm not saying that. That was what the former chief executive um, Richard Scudamore said to over a table to me directly and to others who met him as part of the FSA's 20s Plenty campaign a number of years ago. So a trade association exists to protect itself and to ensure that it's profitable and makes more money. So they are, by dent of operating that way, the wrong people to run football because Mm. they've got a vested interest. Some really interesting points, and there's a few I want to pick up on. Sorry, I love your point about the, the need for risk. And what we've seen this week, we've seen Brighton's CEO or MD go on TalkSport and rigorously defend um, the profit and sustainability rules and disband, um, defend sustainability in football. And Brighton are a club people look at as a, side, a, a team and a club that have developed organically and they've done it with smart investment. And I'm not saying they haven't done all those things. Their owner has put half a billion quid into yeah. the club and he's a good owner and I don't think he wants, he might not want his money back. But currently, his owner has put half a billion quid into that football club over the years to get it where it needs to be through interest-free loans and all this kind of stuff. Or they've taken loans and he's paid them off. And if you're a club, Sunderland are a good example, they probably can't do that now. They can't do that because now the Football League has rules that didn't exist when Brighton were doing their rise from the lower leagues to the top leagues. And I feel like this conversation is so difficult to have without you looking at your own football club's position because ultimately that's why we're all sat around this table and you're all watching this and this is because you're passionate about Newcastle United. What might be good for Newcastle United might be bad for the game. I think I think everyone here, most people accept that and, and that's a kind of conversation and an understanding people need to have with themselves and also the people who are in the football club need to have, have with themselves. To me, I think it was you, John, who, who talked about, um, you know, this was a react, you know, the, these rules were a reaction at UEFA first and then the Premier League and then the Football League to events and that's you know you've listed some clubs there let's throw you know we could go on for ages let's throw Charlton into the mix Mm. let's throw Bury into the mix there's all Darlington into the mix there's all sorts of football clubs at all kind of levels Nuneaton Borough have just gone bust in in, in non-league there's all sorts of of levels you could go to for this but ultimately it's not it's not profitability or lack of that puts businesses out of business. It's cash. And if your owners have got the cash and can prove they've got the cash or can put the cash in account for the Premier League, or maybe this is complete nonsense. I don't know. I haven't, this isn't my master plan. But, but you can't argue that we're, we're protecting football clubs. Okay, that's good. As Mick says, that's a good thing. We want football clubs to be protected. First of all, um, what are you protecting them from? Are you protecting them from other football clubs? Are you protecting them from a perceived sense of injustice and fair play that a mediocre club could all of a sudden get a, a rich owner and then supplant the hard-working lands at Tottenham and Arsenal who've, who've tried, worked so hard to build a stage and put all the money in? It's not fair on them. That, that second part of the argument is actually the, the sense of the conversation, I feel. It's not so much about keeping clubs alive. It's about a sense of fairness. Okay, and if, if we're to agree that a sense of fairness in football and sport is important, 
and I know I don't really hear this that much, so I'm going to bring bring this point forward. I cannot reconcile that with the Super League, and that's what pisses me off. Okay, so if you're Brighton CEO, and they're talking about Newcastle United, let's be clear, I think that's who they're talking about because Newcastle are the ones who've set this conversation off. Really, Eddie Howe and then Darren Eels. Um, that's fine. You you want a fair, sustainable game. You want you want football clubs to be safe. Their community assets. We're with you. How does that how does that correlate with the Super League? What was the punishment again for those Super League mm. clubs? How did the Super League calculations feed into fair play? If these clubs were going to be guaranteed at least a hundred million pounds more income a year or whatever the figure was, where did, how would that have been weighted towards their profit and sustainability calculations? You know what I think? I don't think they gave a fuck. I don't think the Premier League clubs who were part of this paid one moment's thought to profit and sustainability. Absolutely. I t- totally, totally agree. And, it, it, and I always found it interesting, the behaviour of the broadcasters um, with the, in relation to the Super League because they were so against it, weren't they? They had Gary Neville on, uh, on the hour, Jamie Carragher, absolutely full square opposing it, quite radical language used, etc. by Sky, etc. Then once it had been stopped, it was immediately forgotten because it wasn't in their interests to punish the most popular clubs in the country. Uh, so if they, if Man United had got a 20-point deduction for it, uh, for example, for their involvement, uh, just pulling them out the, out the hat, um, then that would have destroyed the Premier League's competitiveness the following season. So yep. they, that would have destroyed their product. So they didn't want that. And the ASL... Um, wasn't in their business interests either. So they opposed it when they won, perceived, when they, you know, they were, we're on the side of the fans, etc. Interesting one, that one. Never been on the side of the fans <laughs> before or since. Um, and then the ASL is dropped, then it's kind of slap on the wrists, two million quid fine or something. It's not even a one player's wages uh, it a, a big club. The matter was completely dropped. So the whole game is run on self-interest, on narrow self-interest. And, and in that case, the ASL through the broadcasters was a, a classic example. And as Alex absolutely nails it, those six clubs who flirted with the European Super League, they couldn't have give a toss about the competitiveness and the health of English football. It was, we're off, cheers, we'll just be back to pick your best players when, when, we, when we fancy. Is that all right? I also think uh, UEFA bottled it as well. Yeah, like why? Why didn't UEFA just say to those twelve clubs, right? Well, you're not in Europe next year. Yeah, yeah. Like, is, is, a, is a penalty, and and that's a deterrent, isn't it? Straight away, you know, because they need that Champions League money, they need that revenue, don't they? So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it it does. It all stinks of self interest, and that's where a lot of these rules come from. And actually, the Premier League was born from self interest. Let's let's not 100%. forget that. You know, like let's all break away because we could make more money, and then and now we're in a situation where you know the um, the EFL clubs that almost made the worst mistake they ever did when they were offered in on that TV deal and went, no, 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 it's all right, we'll do our own. Mm. Hindsight's a wonderful thing, but, you know, the Premier League think, well, you know, bugger you, you know, you, you should have moved with the times at the, at the point. Yeah, and, and the, the, you know, the huge mega European clubs that everyone kind of looks up to because they've had fantastic players and great histories, Juventus, Real Madrid and Barcelona, they are in mountains of debt. They're drowning under the debt. So that's why they wanted the ASL because they're terrified of the health of the Premier League. Um, so you know, the, the, whole, the whole thing is just a feeding frenzy of, um, of cash. And I've got absolutely zero faith that UEFA will do anything about it because they're complicit as well. 
um, you know, borderline corrupt. And that's before we even talk about FIFA, which is just the mafia, <laughs> isn't it? Let's be honest. You know, it has no redeeming features whatsoever. Yeah, really interesting, isn't it? And, and this is the thing about self-interest and making it you hit the nail on the head. The, the whole league, the whole game is is consumed with self-interest, and it does feel a little bit in my um, in my Newcastle United world that as soon as Newcastle fans and Newcastle United start trying to behave in their own self-interest, that's too much. That's not acceptable. <laughs> that, that 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 draws the ire of Brighton CEO. He was. I'm, I'm not saying he was fine with the Super League, but I don't think he went on TalkSport and talked about how these clubs had potentially destroyed not just the Premier League, but the whole of English football and European football. That seemed to be okay, but but this is too much. And you know, Newcastle United in 2015, I think, signed up to these rules, and therefore there's a conversation about, okay, well, when a club changes... Uh, ownership does there need to be another vote on the rules who, who do you involve the clubs that were in the Premier League at the time are no longer in the Premier League they they voted on the rules it's it's, a, it's an area that we don't know enough about so very fortunately we've invited Chris Woff on Wednesday to talk even more about this subject on an overall picture so we'll we'll talk more about it there so that finishes it for us for today thanks lads thanks all three for joining me thanks for listening and watching everyone we're on Patreon it's between three and eight pounds a month as we build up to Fulham a massive game next week so come and join us on there for lots of discussion and more and then finally i'll leave you with the plug that we have a live show 16th of february at the gosforth civic theater come and join us there's a link to tickets in the description of this podcast hope to see loads of you along there bye-bye this podcast is brought to you by aspers casino newcastle home of the four pound pint on match day that's all newcastle home games and any televised newcastle fixture the offer applies from midday until midnight on all draft beers be Gamble Aware, over 18s only. Visit BeGambleAware.org. Uh, be Drink Aware. And for details and T's and C's, visit AspersNewcastle.co.uk. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.